1: Nam mihi nui and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Chemists at the University of Otago are coming up with smarter ways to deliver drugs and they're doing it at the nanoscale. I catch up with Ng Tan and postdoctoral researcher Sean Mackay to find out what they're doing
2: and I discover that a couple of rather unusual things have inspired them. We figure out ways to deliver drugs through either skin or to the brain, trying to address issues or problems that currently there is no technology for. So we're developing new technology that will enable us to deliver drugs to places that are difficult to access. So when I think of
1: drug delivery, I think of I might orally take a pill, like I swallow something and it gets absorbed through my stomach or intestine or something. Uh, Someone could give me an injection just under the skin
2: or into my muscle. Yep. Those types of drug delivery methods are what we would call systemic in that once the drug is either ingested or delivered intravenously through a syringe, it goes everywhere, in that if it goes through the digestive system, it's absorbed through your gut, and then it is distributed throughout your body. And same with intravenous, through your circulatory system, your blood, and it gets delivered everywhere. The issue with that, of course, is that usually when you take a drug, you want it to go to a specific place. If, For example, if you have a headache, you don't really need the drug to be in your foot or your hands. So our way of getting around it is to basically put the drugs where it's required. So not all over the place, which gets around the problem of side effects. Basically, if if a drug that was designed for, let's say, treatment of cancer, for example, and it would do its best work at the site of a tumor, but if it went to a place like the heart, for example, which might cause heart damage, and it's not required there, but through systemic delivery, you can't avoid it. So... Our interest is to develop technology to enable us to deliver these things to where it's required and not to the places where it's not required.
1: Sean, what's the challenge you face with, let's just start with skin in the first instance. I mean, my skin is it's a nice, tight, waterproof substance that holds me
0: together quite effectively. That's exactly the problem with it. It keeps everything out. So the main problem with skin is the top layer is very tightly bound together and it's very difficult to get anything through. So there are certain classes of drugs that will permeate pretty readily. Nicotine is one of them, it's really small. But as soon as you get above a drug of a certain size it becomes increasingly difficult to get it to pass through the skin because it can't fit through the tight little junctions that hold it together. So we've been trying to work on new ways to overcome that issue.
1: Now you've been working on something specific, do you want to tell me what inspired you to work on this?
0: (laughs) We watched an octopus squish through a little tiny hole and figured that the skin is basically composed of cells that are stuck together with little tiny holes between them. And that If you could make a particle that could change its shape and squish between them, you could get more drugs through more easily.
2: So what are you holding there, Ng? It's a squishy ball. So it's basically a, a toy, which I think it, most people are familiar with. And basically it's a ball. It's spherical, it's round. But when, when you squeeze it, Oh, so you're giving it a good squeeze yeah. and it's... And you can see that the contents of it kind of moves out of the part that's been constricted to a part of the squeezy ball that's expanded because of the pressure. So the concept of it is that if we can encase the drugs in a very, very small particle that has the same properties as that of a squeezy ball where you kind of squish it and then you move the contents along through the parts that are being constrained and it gets moved along, then we could squish these particles that contain the drugs through the layers of skin and the benefit of that of course is that only the drug that's inside the particle gets delivered through the skin and all the stuff that we don't want to go through the skin and that's why the skin's there it's a protective layer and there's a reason for it you know being there that we don't want to just put something on the skin that just makes the skin permeable which allows everything through because that's that wouldn't be good so it only delivers the things that's inside the particles and it keeps the skin intact. So we're not damaging the skin. So it's very important that we're not damaging the skin in the process. Now, your squeezy ball there is hand sized. What
1: yep. scale are you working at with drug delivery?
2: We're talking nanometers here, tens of nanometers. So very, very small. <laughs> a nanometer is 10 to the minus nine meters. To give it a a relative scale, for example, tens of nanometers is smaller than a cell, a skin cell.
0: So I think the width of an average human hair is about two hundred thousand nanometers. So our particles are considerably smaller than that.
1: How on earth do you go about beginning to invent a nanometer-sized drug delivery system that squishes like a squishy ball?
2: With great difficulty.
1: <laughs> Was there... Anything to start with, or was it, is this something you were building right from scratch?
2: We are working on another technology for delivering drugs to the brain. We're kind of expanding on it. With the application of drugs to the brains, we, we're using a nanoparticle system as, as well. And in that system, we weren't designing the nanoparticles to be squishy because it wasn't required to be. So in our current system for the skin delivery, we just... We're modifying or we're using a a different uh, nanoparticle system, which I guess through manipulating the nanoparticle system, we can make it squishy. And how we know that they're squishy is we can see these nanoparticles using uh, electron microscopy. And we take pictures of these nanoparticles to see what they look like, and they do look Squishy, so up against each other. They basically squish up against each other, so they're no longer round. That's how we came up with the term, but squish, because they do look squishy.
1: What kind of materials are you using to make these nanoparticles?
0: They're all biologically compatible, but that's about as much as we can say at the moment.
1: Aha, uh-huh. commercially secret. Hopefully. <laughs> so this is something that you're pretty confident you'll be able to commercialise? It looks promising. So biologically compatible, but still something you're making in a... A chemistry lab?
0: Yeah, so everything's made in a chemistry lab at the moment. It's all in vitro, so it's all made in beakers and test tubes. But all of the materials that we use are non-toxic.
1: So you've got a proof of principle. You've looked at them through an electron microscope. What else have you done with them?
0: Uh, We have a series of model systems that look at how they behave with skin. And we also have synthetic skin models that have been apparently proven to be remarkably similar to human skin and we can accelerate how quickly drugs can migrate through them.
1: So what's going to make the drug go from the outside of my skin, the outside of my body? What's going to make it go through my skin? Is this like osmosis, i.e. what? why isn't it, doesn't it just sit on the surface of my skin?
2: In a sense, the product is going to look something like a cream or a gel. So it's going to be that sort of thing. And, and one of the processes that encourages even moisturizers, for example, that go through the skin, is this evaporative um, process that happens when you apply things on the, sc- on the skin. It tends to evaporate, but, but then the environment under your skin is still wet. So these particles like to go to where it's still wet, it's essentially. So in the process of evaporation, these particles get, for want of a better term, get sucked through these very small um, pores in the, in the skin. So it gets it through my skin,
1: and then what happens with it?
2: Once it gets to the the top layer, which is the difficult bit, and then once it gets to the bottom layer, uh, we're hoping that these particles will then release their cargo, which is the drug at the site of where these drugs will be required most. So the technology that we've been discussing so far should be applicable to... Most disorders that are associated with skin, if we want a particular drug at that area, we could use this technology for. But at this stage, we are targeting a very, I guess, quite a specific uh, medical disorder.
0: So the disorder that we're first targeting is infantile hemangioma, which is commonly known as strawberry birthmarks. And they are disfiguring tumors of the vascular system that grow in the first few weeks of childhood. And then after a few years, they usually spontaneously disappear. But with each of them, there's always a risk that the lesion will become really big and really disfiguring. In some cases, they can ulcerate um, if they're left for too long before they're treated. So we're hoping that we can have a way to treat that more effectively and more safely.
1: So is there a drug that already gets used for that, and you are just working on the drug delivery system? Yeah,
0: so the drugs are, the drug is all commonly used in the marketplace. We're just trying to make it that little bit better.
1: The existing drug for dealing with strawberry birthmarks, are you lucky enough that it's a small molecule?
0: It's one of the ones that's on the border. It's very slow in, in absorbing, usually, um, whereas we can hope we can speed that up a little bit.
1: How does the drug get released once it's
0: inside? As it squishes, it squishes the drug out as it gets through the bottom layers of skin, and then it can just diffuse throughout the tissue a lot more readily than it could at the top layer of skin.
1: You're targeting medical conditions, developing a drug delivery system. I can't help but thinking that the cosmetics industry might might be very interested in what you're doing.
0: The cosmetics industry is one of the second targets that we're looking at. So the reason we went with strawberry birthmarks is that one of our collaborators, um, Sweet Anne at the Gillies McIndoe Research Institute, is one of the world experts in the disease. So in New Zealand, we have a very deep understanding of how that disease works and how we could try and improve it. Um, Same thing with Parkinson's disease. There's a very strong research community in Parkinson's disease in New Zealand. But absolutely, we have been seriously considering cosmetic applications as well.
2: One of the targets is scarring. Mm. Scars, to treat scars.
0: There's lots of things sold as treatments that don't really have any scientific credibility behind them. So things like rubbing silicon oil on them is supposed to make them a little bit better. But half the time, if you have a very serious keloid scar, the only treatment option is to cut it back out and then in most cases it regrows again. Um, So having a treatment option available that can improve the appearance of scars is currently unmet. Can you
1: explain why the brain is a difficult place for us to get drugs to?
2: With the vasculature in the brain, there is a layer basically called the blood-brain barrier. And it's called a blood-brain barrier because it prevents many of our normal chemical molecules that are in the circulatory system to get into the, the brain structure as such, the brain cells. When molecules are required to traverse this blood-brain barrier, there's usually a carrier system that we, that's built into the organism. So we have carriers to carry, for example, amino acids, their nutrients through. And drug molecules can be designed to go through the blood-brain barrier, and some drug molecules do, but many of them don't. And the difficulty associated with, with the blood-brain barrier is, for example, if, if we had a, an infection in the brain... Which could be treated by normal antibiotics. Getting the antibiotic into the brain through your norm, our normal pathways of, for example, ingestion or intravenous delivery, it won't get there because it won't it won't cross the blood-brain barrier. Although it's systemic and it's in, the, in us and it's circulating, that's one part of the body that it won't get there. So, I guess it's another challenge for us with drug delivery systems, since it's a a place that's difficult to get drugs through if we can do it in such a way not only to the brain but to specific areas of the brain. And that's why the other program or project that we're working on is very ambitious in that sense because to be able to deliver drugs like neurotransmitters to very specific areas of the brain, we're talking about a possible treatment for Parkinson's disease, epilepsy. And since again it's just very specific to certain areas of the brain. We could do it in a in a way that actually mimics how the normal brain functions so the way that the brain functions normally with neurotransmitters is, is they are little pulses of them, so depending on what we do and our actions, they fire off little pulses of dopamine, for example so in in the parkinson's case, our treatment for it is in in terms of Parkinson's, is that there is a general lack of the neurotransmitter dopamine in the brain. So the treatment of it is just to replace this dopamine level, but not in the natural way that dopamine is produced in the brain, which is in pulses, which it's very difficult to do, for example. If you're putting it through uh, our digestive system, we might swallow a pill, for example, and it's a precursor of dopamine or agonist of, of dopamine, That might go through the brain. But then the levels of this neurotransmitter in the brain just jumps and it stays high for a long time at a very high level, which is not natural. So the brain responds in an unnatural way, and this is where the side effects of some of the Parkinsonian drugs come in. They develop behavioral uh, problems because involuntary responses become rewarded because dopamine is a reward chemical. So involuntary thoughts or actions become rewarded. Whereas what you're proposing to do would be just so much more targeted. And also to replicate the firing pattern, the normal firing pattern of the neurotransmitters, which is in pulses, not as a constant high level that kind of declines over several hours... And these little pulses could be in the second timescale. I mean, we've de- we've developed systems like these that work in pulses of maybe a in few seconds sense. or milliseconds. So it's possible to to do in a I guess in a laboratory experimental setup. Trying to get it in vivo, of course, it's, it's much more difficult.
1: Thanks, Ng. That was chemist Ing Tan. We also heard from Sean Mackay a postdoctoral research fellow working in nanotechnology, and they are both in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Otago. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first saw the light of day on the 30th of January 2019. We are online at rnz.co.nz slash world That's the place to head if you'd like to sign up for our free weekly email newsletter, which we send out every Wednesday with links to the week's stories, as well as some treats from our enormous back catalogue. We are also freely available as a podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Radio Public. Our sister podcast, The Kākāpō Files, is keeping up with all the breaking Kākāpō news. These giant flightless night parrots have a lot going on this summer, you can find the Kakapo files online at rnz.co.nz slash Kakapo. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Namihi. Botox Cosmetic, Ata Botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.